What's going on, everyone? Today is May 4th, 2019. It's 9.29 p.m. I have taken 9,659 steps today. My heart rate is a 77 beats per minute. I'm sitting across from a good man, a man who I met and spent time with for a brief time, but a man who I've come to appreciate, um, and I'm excited to talk to him today. We haven't talked in a while, so this will be fun. Um, Alex Odin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Matt. It's, <laughs> it's, it has been a while. I mean, I met you back in May of 2017. I 18. 18? May of 18, yeah. One yeah, of those, one of those years. Yeah. Uh, coming to live here, and it's it was a pleasure meeting you, and yeah, it was... It was a fun time, the brief time that we lived together over the summer. Brief time, but a fun time. Brief time, but a fun time. And here we are again in the kitchen. <laughs> Just like old times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, I'm excited. And as I always start conversations with new people on the podcast, um, I'd like to know what your origin story is. So talk me through if someone was going to make a comic book about you and they were going to have to you know, make the, the plot of your life to make your character. What are, were the significant events along the way? What are the things that shaped you into the person you are? Well, I think I'd definitely have to start back in high school. I mean, I faced quite a lot of bullying. I, I was never really the popular kid growing up. I was just kind of the all, all the always the odd kid out. Hmm. But I had like my, my close group of friends, you know, the couple of us. Um, but it would definitely start in high school, probably around freshman year. Uh, I joined the water polo team there, had a hell of a time, great sport. Uh, moving through high school, um, sophomore year rolls around, and you know, my dad strongly recommends me to uh, join the golf team there. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I joined the team reluctantly, and I played for the team for a little bit, and never really super keen on on playing golf it was always more of just a fun thing for me to do less of a competitive uh-huh. thing to do but I did end up meeting a good group of who are my now closest friends there I've got uh, my best friend Joey was on the team and uh-huh. and we never we didn't start close but you know over time after about a year we kind of really grew close yeah. to each other sure um, fast forward I'd say to senior year of high school uh, you know time to apply to colleges yeah. um and, you know, I wasn't the most straight-edge kid, I'd say, throughout high school. You know, I got into my fair share of trouble, did my fair share of stupid things. Um, my dad and I were fighting quite a bit, you know, just over things I would do, you know, my past, things I had done. Yeah. Um, faced a lot of adversity at home with him, a very, always a very tense situation. Hmm. Um, and so with him helping me with college... He had a lot of a say of, of where I would go. I, being this party kid that I was, I wanted to go to the, to the party schools on the West Coast, at least. Sure, so yeah. ASU, one of them. Yeah. Um, however, my dad had a different idea. Uh, <laughs> he asked me if I would ever consider going to Virginia Military Institute. And, you know, I heard the word, word military, and I was immediately like, hell no. Like, absolutely <laughs> not. Uh, but... He's like, well, just consider it for me. Let's let's do some looking. So to appease him and get off him off my ass, I was like, you know what, fine. Yeah. Um, so we end up scheduling an open. They have what's called an open house where you get to go into barracks for a night and stay with one of the rats, which rats at VMI are the freshmen. Uh, so you know, I was like, all right. I mean, if you really want to fly me all the way out to Virginia to to check this out, then let's do it. <laughs> I go out there, check out the school. I do an interview with the school. 
Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of really going through the, the paces of like if I was going to be yeah. going there. And so I go there and I experience a little bit of the barracks life. I talk to some of the cadets there and, you know, I, to my surprise, I actually found it enjoyable. I, yeah. I found the, the atmosphere there to be different than most schools. And, and so I decided, okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll apply. And I was at a golf match one day. So I'm back home in, in California now. I'm yeah. at a golf match. And it's about March. And I applied long ago. So, you know, I heard nothing back. So I was like, all right, local community college it is. This sucks. But because <laughs> VMI was the only place I had applied to. Oh, well. It was the only place I was allowed to yeah. apply to. <laughs> and so I'm at a golf match. My dad's like, you got a letter from VMI. I was like, oh, all right. Well, it's probably my denial letter. It's, it's about that time. <laughs> my and, rejection. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, this this was like a relatively important match. I think it was deciding like who went to like league finals or anything. Oh, okay. So it was like, it was a rather big one. So, you know, I was a little stressed about that. And then he sends me this picture. And it's a big red folder saying, congratulations, you've been accepted to the class of 2019 at Mm VMI. And, you know, normally when people get their their acceptance letters, they're like, oh, shit, like, this is awesome, this is exciting. And I immediately went, oh, shit, what am I going to do with my life? (laughs) Because though I thought I wanted to go there I was still unsure because yeah. the first six months of VMI is what's called the rat line and it's mm-hmm. it's just a hell of a time and I wasn't sure if I was I was up to that so you know I play the the match and I'm playing like absolute <laughs> like I, I've, had, it was, I've had days on the course like that <laughs> it was it was horrid I was I couldn't keep my mind straight like I couldn't keep it on the game yeah and stuff but you know, I I grapple with it. There's actually a, a picture that my dad's really proud of, or he thinks is really funny. I was we went to a, a restaurant afterwards because he was excited. He was beyond he was beyond himself. And so like I'm on the phone. I'm talking to I believe my sister who's in New York at the time okay. at school, and my face is just pure like despair. Like I have zero idea what I'm doing. And so over the next uh, week, you know, I'm grappling with: Do I go there? Do I stay here with my friends? Or do yeah. I go take a chance? Mm-hmm. Um, I go take the chance, and uh, I decide to do the uh, summer transition program there. So you go, you take, you get a class out of the way, you get your boots, you get your low quarters, the whole okay. nine. Well, yeah. Good time, met some good good guys there, uh, people who would be in my class. Mm-hmm. Uh, fast forward to matriculation day, uh, same same sort of picture. My dad's extremely proud of. I'm sitting in in the crowd in you know the gym uniform that they have us go and yeah. line up in, and yeah, I've seen videos of it. Yeah, and I'm just going like. Oh God! What what have I done? Like mm-hmm. what what have I done? Why am I here? My mom's just in tears. My dad's just giddy as I'll get out. He's so excited. He's like, "Yes! Like finally! Like, finally gonna scare the yeah, and, scare the shit out of him." Oh yeah, he he <laughs> wanted the he wanted the negative beaten out and the and the positive brought up mm-hmm. and he was it was a little bit of him living vicariously through me and I mean I I can accept that because he tells me all the time how much he wishes he could be in my position but mm-hmm. I I've grown to accept that. So throughout the rat line, um, just absolutely emotionally, physically, and mentally just drained because yeah. they, it's anything from waking you up at five in the morning. I mean, all of hell week you're up at five and you're in bed at 10 so, yeah. and you are, you're moving constantly. Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, I mean, it was, it was hard. It was hell, but you know, I was, I was proud cause I, you know, eventually got through it and you know, it was something that I did. It was something finally in my life yeah. that nobody helped me with per se but it was all me mm. i mean i had my support net i had my support group but i had finally done it and i didn't quit 
to the dismay of my cadre because mm, yeah. you know still not a fan favorite still kind of the constant theme of not really fitting in not really finding my my group still yeah. but Had that been the hardest thing you'd ever done in your life vmi yeah i yeah vmi and how week and and the whole the entirety of the rat line without a doubt it was it was extremely difficult i mean I went in there 245. I was a big kid. I never really worked out, and that was a mistake going into Hell Week. Mm-hmm. I, they crushed me. Yeah. Uh, I, at my lowest, I hit 175. I lost a tremendous amount of weight. I was more fit than I've ever been. But yeah, it was hell. It was the hardest thing that I had done yeah. because not only am I being tested physically, which I've never been great at, I can swim till, my, till I pass out, yeah. but running had never been my thing. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of running. And so. You know, it it really did test me extremely. Yeah. I mean, because they're doing all the physical stuff and, and they're mentally going at, like, not like going after you per se and like trying mm-hmm. to attack like who you are as a person. Yeah. But they're trying to, to break down those negative characteristics. Yeah. They're trying and, to push you. Exactly. And so it was it was difficult. I mean, I almost quit once and there was only the, only the one time that I ever considered it was coming back from uh, Christmas furlough. So, you know, we, we went home and we had a long break. It was about... I think it was a month and a week or so. Yeah. So it was a it was a long time from going and being in this environment where I'm the lowest thing, like worms are better than me, <laughs> and uh, so going going home, seeing my friends, doing what I wanted, like growing my hair out because you know they buzz your hair, and yeah. so like growing my hair out a little bit. I mean, of course, it doesn't grow much a month, but like just being able to be myself again and be like the person I was. Yeah. The person you were. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so I come back and everything just feels different. I get there. I'm just like this. It felt different. It felt strange. I, I didn't feel like I fit there. Cause like when I had left, I felt like, okay, like I belong here. Like I can do this. Like, and I got back and I was like, I, I just don't know. It's just something was off inside of me. Something was eating at me. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I pushed through it. I found my routine, got back in the groove you know, got screamed at some more, and eventually the the day came where we had breakout, which is one long day of, of like a culminating event where you're recognized as before we were the class of 2016 plus three, yeah, um, <laughs> and that day we get recognized as the class of 2019. Okay, that day was probably the hardest but the best day of the rat line. Hmm. Hardest because we were facing sub zero temperatures all day. We were woken up at five thirty in the morning by cannon and blank fire so they're shooting blanks out of weapons um and you wake up and you're you're excited you're just you know the day is happening yeah. and so you you're just losing your mind but it's five thirty, and it's time to work out so we know mm-hmm. we do what's called a sweat party which is three rounds of five minute intervals in which you're doing whatever an upperclassman tells you to do yeah physically wise wow. um and we did not stop moving until six that evening okay so it was a whole day of being outside um in the the highest it got was 19 degrees that day ironically enough with our class being 19 um and for all the international people that's 19 fahrenheit yes yeah that's very Uh, cold (laughs) yeah um and so but the wind the wind was taking it down below zero fahrenheit yeah i could imagine so it was i watched uh we were carrying water jugs and i watched water drip onto a man's jacket and immediately freeze that's crazy i was like this sucks yeah but you know the day is finally over you know we have our dinner that we all fall are falling asleep at because there's speakers and we're just heads are bobbing because we're just exhausted yeah um, and so that was the end of the rat line and the rest of that, that year just flew past and mm-hmm. before I knew it it was summer break going home and 
and enjoying everything. Nothing I'd say terribly significant happens until fast forward to uh, probably second class year. Um, you know, I come back to VMI after spending some time at home, um, you know, working on a, a car that I had recently bought because my last car was wrecked. I was I had a 1966 Mustang that was hit, destroyed. 66 Mustang? Mm -hmm. I what had, color was it? It was red. Oh. It was red with black stripes. It was it was my baby. Her name was Alice. It was, you know, any time I had too much on my mind, I'd just hop in and drive around. And then, funny enough, when it happened, I, it was my sophomore year of school. Um, I was back on spring break, and I was going to talk to somebody about a summer job. So, you know, I wasn't even, it was the one time I was driving normally, we will say, in, yeah. in the car, you know, following the rules of the road. Uh -huh. um, and a guy's turning in to go to, into a bar. And, you know, the, with that car, it sits a little bit lower. So it's, yeah. it's easy to be hidden behind other cars. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's turning left, yeah, left into a bar. And I see him because there was a car in front of me that passed and he immediately started turning. Yeah. And so I see him and I'd say probably about 30 feet away. And I was like, no, well, this is going to suck because, you know, old cars, no power steering, no power brakes. You know, I got, I don't know how many of your listeners are car guys, but I got a disc in the front and drum in the back. So stopping power isn't, it's yeah. uh, strong suit. Mm -hmm. So I stomped the brakes, cranked the wheel left because if I took a head on, I would have just been done. Yeah, you would have been finished. And uh, totaled out the car. I was, I was very distraught. It was a, it was rough because, uh, you know, I've fallen in love with that car. It's yeah. been in my family since I was years old my really? dad, dad bought it as a bucket of parts built it up and you know finally it was it was i didn't even have the car for a year, uh, year and a half wow um so you know fast forward summer of uh going into my junior year of college mm -hmm. you know i'm doing a lot of work on the car you know i'm struggling with a lot of things uh dad and i are going at it again you know just random things i mean our personalities clash because mm -hmm. as much as i hate to admit it we are similar <laughs> so you know our personalities clash and uh, we're both very uh, stubborn people when it comes to certain things and so you know i'm struggling a lot internally with anxiety depression you know just trying to figure out like who i am and what i want to be and and not his version of me i want to be my version of me yeah and he he can't accept that so we we go at it back and forth and i finally come back to uh to vmi my junior year and um, I remember matching with a, a girl on Tinder <laughs> my, during my third class here. And I, you know, I remember, I was like, hey, she was a lot of fun to talk to. I should definitely hit her up, see what she's doing. And, you know, so I, I texted her the very next day. It was uh, the day after my birthday, actually. The day after my 20, 20th birthday. And so I end up meeting up with her, like, that weekend. And mm -hmm. there was an instant connection. We, we hit it off. And it was great. And so the remainder, all of, we're still together to this day. Um, and I, that was probably the most significant point in my, uh, in my time at VMI, is just kind of meeting that person that yeah. I, I finally feel a true connection mm -hmm. with. And so, you know, we have a uh, ring figure, second class year. It's when we all get our class rings. There are these big pieces of, of metal that we just love. <laughs> More than we probably should, but, you know, it's something we're proud of. It, it yeah. signifies all the hard work we've done at school. Um, and then I decided during the first semester of my junior year that I, I was not going back to California. It was, it was not an environment in which I could be who I wanted to be. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of people back there that 
weren't necessarily anchors, but weren't necessarily going anywhere. Okay. And I was trying to put myself in a position that with people that are going somewhere. And so I, I made the decision that I was going to stay in, in Harrisonburg or not. Well, that's a little few. Yeah. Far <laughs> few. I was going to stay in Virginia and I was going to find some sort of job. And, you know, the end of the year comes and I found a job. I found a place to live. Yeah. That's how we met. Yep. Um, I worked at a place called the uh, Center for Child and Adolescence. Uh, it's in Stanton, Virginia. It's a mental health hospital for uh, children and adolescents, so up to the age of 17. Mm-hmm. And I, I study psychology, so I, I was super excited to go in there. I was like, I'm going to see some things that see I've things read about. Things, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm going to learn incredible things. Boy, did I learn a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that place... Um, that place was different. It it wasn't... Everyone... You think of mental health places as places where, where you help them deal with what they're going through and really, like, get a hold of, of whatever issue or crisis that they're going through. Mm-hmm. And I saw none of that. I, I was in there to actually help and care for people, and I soon saw that, though this is a state-run institution... The, they take just about anybody as long as you don't have a felony. And oh. so these kids just weren't getting the treatment they needed. There's kids in there that shouldn't be just because they're there for disciplinary issues, but they're, the mental health system is being abused and, and making them our problem. Um, I experienced a lot in there. Um, I saw some kids with some true mental illnesses that, that needed the help, and... I saw some kids that were just straight up defiant. I, mm-hmm. A lot of the kids in juvenile detention, they know that if they act up and, and show some sort of self-harm or suicidal tendencies that they'll be put right back in there. And that place is much more comfortable than a juvenile detention center. Mm-hmm. So there is, had, we had a couple of kids in there who had been in there 13 times. Wow. Um, one kid being in there as much as uh, 25 or 26 times. It was, it was insane. And it was it was hard to deal with. I mean, I've got, I had things thrown at me. I had kids try to punch me, throw chairs at me. One kid tried to bite my fingers off. It was it was intense. And all the while, I'm I'm seeing other kids like really struggle with the depression. And and it it was difficult. And I look back and maybe not the best decision for myself since I I deal with some of the same issues. Yeah. Looking at them and and just, it kind of sent me internal. I was like, well it kind of triggered those things inside of me but I was I managed to keep a, a good hold on it you know talk to the people that I needed to yeah. but that was a, a big moving point in my life that um, when I do end up going for my master's in psychology at one point or another um, I I want to do something about the mental health system and how mm-hmm. broken it is because I've had first hand experience in a crisis center I, I went to one and it was not well run at all like it, I've went in there for suicidal ideation and if I truly wanted to go through with it I could have there there was absolutely no supervision there was no Mm -hmm. real help they just printed out articles that they found on the internet and we'd read about them and talk about them and the people to my left and right weren't people dealing with mental illnesses it was from what I saw a detox center it was people coming down off different drugs I sat next to one woman who was hooked on heroin and meth and she firmly believed that she had bugs crawling in her skin Um, and it was just not the place I needed to be to get the help that I needed and so I I decided that paired with working at the center that I needed to do something in the in my future to 
better that program, better that system, not only mm-hmm. in Virginia, but hopefully nationwide. You know, dreaming big here. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, so that, that was the, the summer of my junior year going into my, uh, senior year, which we are here now. Um, and not a whole lot of ex- extremely notable things this year, just trying to get through it, get to the end. And now I've just got two finals on Tuesday and uh, graduation coming up on the 16th Yeah. and going to work on the 20th. So that I would say is my origin story from the, from the most crucial to the now. Yeah, it's interesting because you left out like zero to like 15. It was, <laughs> yeah, just nothing, <clears throat> nothing really huge happened then. I mean, it, it is, you know, it's a lot of the same, just not having the few friends that I did, but not necessarily fitting in where, mm-hmm. where I needed to be. But there was nothing that I believe really altered my life or changed sure. yeah. in some way. It was just, I was just a kid. I was just growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what do you think made it so you didn't fit in? Um, it's probably a tough question. Yeah, it, it is an extremely tough question, but I think it's just a lot of, I, I never wanted to be fake. I was never going to, be somebody that I wasn't. I was always being who I was, and and that didn't necessarily, I guess, fit in with the status quo of, of then. Um, you know, you have to like certain things, do certain things, talk to certain people. And I was, I guess, I just went against the grain too much. Yeah, I was, not wasn't when, not what you wanted to do. Yeah, I was just, I guess, in a sense, being an individual mm-hmm. rather than a collective. So interesting. Yeah, because like with you saying that, and then a lot of the points you made about like the relationship with your dad and thinking of, you know, like his version of you and the version you wanted to be, like you understand the dissonance that's coming there. And like, how did you deal with that? Like the person who, you know, you come home to every day, a person who you see all the time, who has a big influence on the things that you do in your life. How do you cope with that? Uh, therapy. I had a, saw a therapist, um, who had actually used to be my parents' uh, marriage therapist. Okay. Um, the only reason that she saw me is because she knew my family. She, she knew the context. She knew the context, exactly. Um, so I had a lot of sessions with her. And though she did incredible work, a lot of the work that we talked about, a lot of the things that we discussed, wasn't necessarily the things inside that I was battling with, mm-hmm. but rather how to go about and navigate m- my father Mm-hmm. And do the things and say the things that he needed and wanted to hear, yeah. So that we wouldn't get in into altercations. I mean, we never physically fought, but we yeah. we would be screaming. And um, so it was it was a lot of trying to figure out how to to go about him and navigate those sort of situations, um, so that we had a. In, in my eyes, it was a a fake relationship. I mean, I always knew that he had some sort of of something going on in his head that needed yeah. dealing with. And he eventually sought out therapy and found a medication that has really brought him down. And we have a much better relationship now because of it. And so, I mean, back then it was a lot of, um, it was a lot of learning how to navigate him and say the right things so yeah. that I could be the person who I wanted to be, but he saw something different. So it, mm-hmm. it was going against who I was and not wanting to be fake, but it was the only way to, live in that house without chaos day in and day out and when you look back on it now do you think that going about it that way was the best thing that you could have done or do you sometimes wish that you know you maintain that 
sort of authentic me sort of approach? I, I think that it was probably truly the only way to go about that situation until he and himself decided Address that he, things. Yeah. He, he addressed things in himself. Um, and the, the reason I went about it, it was, uh, a lot of it was happening my, my junior, senior year of high school. And I knew I was, I was, especially my senior year, I knew I was getting away. I knew I had escape. I knew I had, mm-hmm. I'm going to Virginia, the other side of the, the country. And so I knew that like being away would be a lot more beneficial for us. Cause my dad and I have a, have a better relationship when there's a tad bit of distance in between us. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. And What's that transition like? You know, you're you're in California, you're in this environment where, you know, you're kind of fighting with the person who you are slash you want to be and, and, and a lot of uncertainty of, of what's coming in the future and stuff. And then you move across the country, you're in Virginia, you're in a military institute, you're doing things that you've never done before, you're being challenged at a level you've never been challenged at before. So how do you navigate that? How do you embrace that and and like when you're facing oh i want to quit what what went through your head to say no i need to keep going well the transition for me um i've always been open to to diff- doing something new mm-hmm. trying new things do- having a new experience going on an adventure yeah um so when i trans did the summer transition p- uh, program at vmi um it was kind of a good way to just slowly dip my toe in the water and figure everything out mm-hmm. And it was very different coming, going from a, a city that had 175,000 people in it, surrounded by cities that had equal, if not more people mm-hmm. in it, a concrete jungle, yeah. to the middle of nowhere, Virginia. It was absolutely insane. I came, I came here and everything's so quiet. There's mm-hmm. so many trees. There's, it's, it was surreal. I was like, wow, this is insane. And... Um, so the summer transition program really helped that in the sense that I, I could find it, kind of discover everything, figure things out. Um, and then when it came to, to matriculating in VMI and, and starting the rat line, um, they do a really good job at not giving you time to think. Interesting. So it's a lot of just do this, do that, do this, do that. And, yeah. and you're not doing a whole lot of independent thinking besides like, okay, like how am I going to accomplish this task? Yeah. It's a lot of going and doing what you're told. Yeah. And so, like, the, the heavy structure really kind of, they made the transition for you. Um, as far as, as not quitting, uh, when I came back that December, I, I just, I didn't want to let myself down. And I wanted to, I wanted to prove to not only myself, but everyone around me, like, all of my cadre who, who would wish I quit, mm-hmm. that no matter what you do to me, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to do this and, and complete the rat line. And so it was a lot of just kind of internal like thought. I mean, I never really slept well there. And especially not when I came back those two days, I think over the next couple of days, you know, I'd lay there and just stare at the ceiling, stare at the ceiling and, and just think, but it was a lot of not letting myself give up, not letting myself quit and, and fail. I had failed too much in the past and just kind of doing different things and trying to uh, I that I couldn't let myself fail. I yeah. there was no way I didn't want to go back home, because mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to go back to that environment. I knew, damn well if I got home and say community college, that we would be back at square one with the fighting. So it was, it was my only option to was to keep going forward. Mm-hmm. I, just kept pushing. Yeah, no, it was really interesting. 
because it's it's really internal and it's in a really tense situation and and oftentimes in really tense situations it really restricts you to go to one way or another and your personality doesn't seem to you know have that big of a role but even in that tense of a situation it seemed like you found something inside of yourself to give you something positive to tell yourself something positive and thinking about before a tense situation like that like throughout your childhood or throughout high school before you were at VMI did you ever have an experience like that where you had to dig into yourself and tell yourself like it's going to be okay I can push on I can do this um yes and no I mean I never had like any direct like high pressure situation in which like like it was either quit or keep moving um mm-hmm. I'd say, like, the only things that really sent me internal as a kid was just kind of battling with that, like, sense of depression. And, and I mean, even ever since a kid, my dad and I have always been a little bit at odds. Yeah. Um, and so, like, just kind of dealing with that and, like, seeing the relationship that he had with my sister and, the like, there was never any animosity there. Hmm. But um, there was a lot with, with my dad and I, so just kind of, like, dealing with that, feeling alone. But there was never any, like, high-pressure situation so that was really my my first uh my first run-in with that yeah and you know dealing with that sort of depression in 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 the tense the tense situations you were having with your dad what were some of the best strategies you developed or or learned to to cope with everything that was going on um the pos- the one positive one music I always found escape in music Interesting. Um, just kind of you know I'd, I'd listen to it and then just kind of escape in the story of the song and just kind of like listen to the message of the song yeah. um, but there was a lot of negative things that I did I mean I started smoking cigarettes at the age of thirteen you know as a kind of like a fuck you to my dad and yeah. and just kind of like you know the nicotine felt good it was nice. Um, yeah, that progressed to smoking weed, and and that became my escape from everything. I'd go and I'd get high with my friends, well, with thought were my friends, mm-hmm. and and so like that became my escape. Um, and so, as a kid, I I dealt with that a lot. I mean, I would go out, I'd smoke, I'd drink, I'd do all the things that in, that placed me yeah. in the position to go to VMI. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just kind of being on that wrong path for so long. Um, I do credit my dad with helping me a lot. I, VMI was where I needed to be, and he recognized that. And I know he had a good intentions with what he what he did with that. But yeah, I mean, as music has always been my one escape. Music and driving. I mm-hmm. uh, when I got my license, I drove everywhere. I yeah. driving at that age. That that was my big escape was music and driving. If I had too much on my mind, I'd just turn on some nice music or whatever music that that my mood felt with yeah. was right roll down the windows and just, just go just drive no destination just, just drive around yeah it's a waste of gas but you know it's necessary for your sanity yeah. for my sanity it's necessary it worth it yeah no it's, that's that's very interesting and even when you were at vmi and, and going through you know these past four years did you ever hit any bouts where you felt similar feelings of depression or anxiety which you had felt at home and, and or, or was it very different the feelings that you had when you're here versus there um it was it was different i'd never had any um during the rat line there was never really any like low spots of depression but there was definitely high anxiety mm-hmm. I mean, it, was, it was a high anxiety situation it was like 
who's going to kick open the door next, who's going to yell at me for what. And it was, it was just anxiety in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never hit any real low spots like I did while I was at home. It was just, it was a lot more anxious, a lot like very yeah. hyper aware and hyperactive of mm-hmm. like just very jumpy and jittery. Yeah. But um, I mean, there was one low spot, but it was not during the rat line. Um, it was in my junior junior year, the tail end of my junior year. Um, I was I was fighting a lot again with my dad. Um, yeah. Even though we had this distance between us, we still it's still just for some reason going at each other. I just was not approving of the way that he would, would speak to my mother, and I would call him out on it. I'd get frustrated with him. Um, so we were fighting a lot and I was drinking a lot. Um, alcohol that is. Yeah. Um, and so the combination sent me into a dark place. I mean, mm-hmm. I wasn't waking up and drinking, but I drink more than I should be. And, you know, it sent me into a dark place and those dark thoughts would, would cloud over into the next morning of sobriety. And so it, it kind of put me down in the pit. And, uh, that's when, that's when I went to that, uh, that crisis center. Yeah. Air quotes for the, mm-hmm. the listeners. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, it was hard to deal with just because I felt alone. I, The room that I was in, they were good guys, but they didn't know me well enough that I felt like I, I didn't want to burden them with, sure. with everything going yeah. on in my head. Um, and I didn't... I had a couple of friends there, but, but no one really that I was super close with that mm-hmm. I could that I could feel like I could offload this. And my uh, girlfriend and I at the time were, were going at odds with each other having a little bit of difficulty so I just felt detached alone and yeah like sealed off mm-hmm. and how'd you deal with that like that feeling of being alone because like for me I've I've certainly felt that and you know yeah. like I also upended my life to to move here and study here and came to a place where I knew no one and like that feeling of being alone sometimes and, and not having you know, someone around who you can be vulnerable with, yeah. right? Um, I I would, I'd talk to my mom, you know, my mom and I have always had such an incredibly close connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm definitely a mama's boy. And Me see, too. I, I'd talk to her <laughs> and I'd, I'd kind of like let her know what I was going through. And um, she, when I went to the crisis center, she actually flew out because I, wow. I asked her to, because yeah. I was, there was just so much that I was going through that and just, being so alone that I needed somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, they, I had made the mistake of going to my school's counseling center. It's, it's not the best. Um, they twisted my words, twisted, uh, the story that I was telling them into, um, they took what I was saying as like, I don't feel like things are worth it to, uh, he's like 1000% going to go kill himself. And there's like, wow. And, um, they had asked me, like, I, I never said like, I was, I'm, I'm going to go kill myself. I just said like, I, I don't feel like I belong. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, if you, yeah, those are two very different things. Yeah. And I said like, well, if you're going to kill yourself, how would you do it? And I was like, odd question, but I answered it. Yeah. And that's when they decided they were going to send me to that, that crisis center. Mm-hmm. And it was that or face medical uh, suspension. Which yeah, is, you know, great tough. as I'm going through one thing to throw another thing on my plate. Um, so, you know, I did as they said. I went to the center and, you know, being there, I said the things I needed to say to to appear 
sane and normal again to get yeah, out. Yeah. Um, but it was a lot of, again, just kind of going inside myself and saying, you know what, like, stop this. Like, just let's focus on what we can deal with right now. Let's not focus on what I can't deal with. I can't provide an immediate solution to. And I think that was the biggest thing that I learned in that is, is to just stop myself and be like, can I, can I fix this right now? Can I fix this in the next hour even? No? Okay, then there's no use in, in overwhelming myself. And um, so, you know, with the help of, of some more therapy and seeing a therapist out here and kind of talking things out that I was able to, to get out of that low point and just mm-hmm. kind of figure out how I needed to go about myself to find happiness and to, to notice, okay, I'm going down this, this hole. Let me understand and deal with this emotion. Why am I feeling this way? What is the root of it? How can I solve this problem or, or not face it again? Mm-hmm. And not in a sense of running away, but avoiding it, but avoiding that situation that would put me into that place. Um, so it was a lot of learning like what I can and can't deal with. And yeah. not letting myself get overwhelmed with everything. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And like that's great advice for anyone, you know. The better that you can identify your emotions and understand how to cope with them for yourself and how to address them and, and how to react to them. Um, like all those principles which kind of stem from mindfulness and stuff like that, that's all super important. Like I've even found it for myself, the more mindful that I can be about the feelings that I have and like if I have a lot of anxiety about anxiety about something, I have to really wonder whether that's truly anxiety, if it's negative or if it's something that is more excitement, which I am looking forward to or even that feeling of nervousness is that is it excitement or is it truly like thinking that something doomed is looming um being able to really think through identify them and understand you know what are the positives and negatives of the way i'm interpreting this feeling um it's really interesting but i feel like that takes a long time to develop what what, what was your experience with that um it, it does take a long time. I mean, uh, as a kid, I had a horrible thing of like catastrophizing. Like, yeah. oh, oh God, one thing goes bad. And my my head would take me to a place where where I just go in a downward spot. and be like, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to mm-hmm. happen. I'm going to be a failure. Um, so it was a lot of breaking myself of that catastrophizing and, and sending myself down that downward spiral. And, and just kind of, a lot of it is recognizing your own thoughts. Um, I have with my anxiety, I have a lot of problems. I will literally go from thinking about a lamp to now I'm stressed out because what if my whole family dies? Like yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. My, my head just goes nine different places at mm. once. Um, the best way that I've ever heard it described is my, my brain's a tornado and you know, there's that small window that you can see that tornado coming out and the thing spinning in it. And it's, it's there for a second. It's gone. And it, it's just a, mm. a ton of things. And so my, my brain would send me down these, these pits and it was it was learning to take back control of my my thought process and it it took me 18 years it took me a long time to to really understand that and figure that out Mm -hmm. and so that was the the biggest key in in i guess mindfulness Mm -hmm. is just taking back control of of my thought process my train of thought yeah not letting it dictate my emotions and feelings but instead i'm consciously dictating my emotions and feelings Mm -hmm. no it's a really good way to describe it i would describe it in a very similar way too and and i'm curious to kind of go back around into 
that mindfulness piece, like when you're thinking about the, the catastrophizing, where did you think that sort of tendency came from and how do you think that that developed? Do you think that that was just something kind of innate within you, something that was influenced a lot by your environment? And do you think that the way that it was influencing you was kind of the route to stop, if that makes sense? Yeah. I I think part of it was innate and then part of it was um, was growing up. It, no matter what I did, I never seemed to be able to to do something right in, mm-hmm. in my father's eyes there was always some sort of mistake some sort of of, of failure mm-hmm. and so I think a lot of it came from that like it was just this innate thing inside of me and then it was exacerbated by being around him growing up mm-hmm. um, and so by I'd go, go home and, and I'd do something and it's like okay we'll go clean the car and then you know I clean the car and mm-hmm. it's not good enough and suddenly I'm in an hour long lecture about how I need to follow directions and learn how to do things right. And so it just kind of always stemmed from I'm faced with a task. Mm-hmm. And now I've been conditioned that I'm going to do this task, but it's not going to be good enough. Mm-hmm. And when it's not good enough, I'm going to get yelled at. And when yeah. I get yelled at, like, nothing's, nothing goes right. And so I think that definitely is where it stemmed from. Mm-hmm. And in terms of solving it, I think if there is something that is causing it or something that has has been exacerbating it is removing yourself from that that situation that person that Mm -hmm. may be causing it and just doing a lot of internal thinking and and mental health is that is important and seeing a therapist i think more people should like they can help you see things from a different angle which is what helped me really gain control over my own head again and, and figure out how to to stop that and take control of my thoughts Mm -hmm. yeah and and to follow up on that how would you describe a good therapist and what are things that you found to be really helpful from a therapist or a type of whether it be a type of person type of practice type of you know way of going about interacting with you sort of thing so what are some indicators of like this is a really good therapist um Somebody that challenges you, uh, mm-hmm. somebody that doesn't just let you talk and talk and talk and they're like, and they're not there for you to, to vent at though. They are, they're there to challenge your way of thinking and challenge you to, to make changes in you. So, uh, with mine, it was a lot of, I would talk about things and, and how I would feel a certain way about a situation and mine would stop me and like, okay, well, how about we take this from a different perspective? Like, let's look from their perspective, how they might be saying it, like, are you interpreting things incorrectly? Uh, how can we go about changing your interpretation of things and challenging you to alter yourself in a, in a positive way? Uh, I don't. I think there's there are some therapists out there that just you know everyone's got the the idea in their heads just like well how does that make you feel mm-hmm. like they should be asking that question but they should also be asking like what can you do differently how can you change yourself how can you remove that mindset or remove that thing from your life to make yourself better they should be challenging you to better yourself instead of just listening to what you're saying hmm. yeah yeah I, yeah 100% agree on on all of those things and and I'm curious in terms of like being at a military institute and having to you know physically perform a lot when you felt that your mental health was in a 
better place in comparison to other times did you think that you were able to like physically perform better or did you think that there wasn't as much of a link there um in terms of i'd be a lot more active i would go lift more i'd go yeah. do other things go on yeah. rough marches or something mm-hmm. with my friends um but i think even when i was in those down times i i don't know if there was any change in performance i i guess i didn't really yeah. think about that a whole lot when i was in the situation but i mean i think i was definitely a lot more active for sure mm-hmm. but i'm sure if i was made to be active i would perform equally just because mm-hmm. it, for me it was a lot of, okay this is what i have to do this is how i have to get mm-hmm. it done this yeah. is how to get it done yeah whether I'm feeling great or not, like I have mm-hmm. to do this. So yeah. Cause it kind of takes up your whole kind of load at that time mm-hmm. rather than being able to worry about all the other stuff that's going on. Exactly. You gotta focus it's, on this thing to do it. It's a lot of, a, a lot of people there use it as an escape. Uh, they, they go lift to just kind of, yeah, it's their mind off. It. It's like, okay, I need to pick this heavy thing up and put it back down. And, and you're thinking about that and not what's going, what's going wrong in your life mm-hmm. or what seems to have your attention. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting, and and I guess one of the final points to to close out should be, you know, we've talked a lot about you know zero to here. So, what's next? What's what's on the docket in the future? What are you know goals, dreams, hopes? Um, well, I mean, in the immediate future to knock out these two finals, you know, yeah. final, get them done, get good grades mm-hmm. on them, and then uh, graduate on the sixteenth. I'm then moving up to uh, Fredericksburg, Virginia, moving into an apartment that I think I'm thoroughly going to enjoy yeah. and, and work my job in, in insurance sales. And, you know, I've, I've said to myself that I'm going to get in that office and I'm going to be the number one sales producer within the first fiscal year. Yeah. I want to just sit down, get it done, and do the hard work that maybe other people are reluctant to do. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how long until I go back for my master's, but I know at some point I do want to. Um, and... So I think there will be a certain point where I do go back to school and or and it might take me a while because I'll most likely do a online program. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I eventually want to you know move down to Tennessee. I've always loved that area, and um, maybe at some point work my own practice as a as a as a therapist and as a and I want to do what the therapist did for me and help if I can even help one person then you know it's worth it so no that's awesome yeah no that's that's really inspiring for me to to listen to all these things because these aren't things that I I really knew about but you know to be able to have this sort of vulnerable conversation it's really meaningful to hear like how you've processed all this stuff and like what you've been through it it always I think brings a lot more respect for you as a person I found and and it it was interesting um that we're talking about this stuff today because the graduation speaker that was at the College of Arts and Letters graduation, which I attended for Austin today, um, he talked about vulnerability and the importance of vulnerability and how being vulnerable is often our greatest strength and being able to be open about ourselves, our stories, you know, where we're coming from, where we are, how we're feeling, whether it be good or bad, being able to be open about it and to, to welcome it and to be able to address it openly um and and the first way to do it is to to be open and to talk through it and to you know sit down with someone and and even just sit down with yourself and and say you know this is what's happened to me this is what i've been through this is 
what I've lived and this is how I've tried to address it in the past and this is where it worked this is where it didn't and this is where I can go from here um and hearing all these things from you and the experiences you've been through and you know nearing the end of a really transformative period it's really really moving at least for for me to hear all of these things though um from the other side of the table like I'm proud of you like this is this is incredible for you and I'm really happy um that you've gotten to this point because a lot of people would have gone down the slippery slope um which is unfortunate but um yeah to have the voice in your head that you know pushes you along to get to that spot of you know where you can dig in and say like I gotta keep going um that's something to to be proud of and to to hold highly within yourself so um this has been great I really enjoyed talking to you about all this and hopefully we can talk more about this stuff but um yeah I appreciate you opening up and talking through all this stuff it's been a pleasure of course yeah pleasure's all mine being on it's been a long time coming a lot of a lot of planning into this I yeah suppose, absolutely and, and then the most spontaneous time it works yep yeah, it's, it's been great though yeah I, absolutely I definitely enjoyed my time here and thanks for having me yeah thanks man cheers <laughs>